Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to La Mama ETC Experimental Theatre Club, dedicated to the playwright and all aspects of the theatre. Okay, everybody, uh, welcome back to the La Mama podcast brought to you by La Mama Experimental Theatre Club. Uh, I know that we are uh, cutting it close in terms of getting this episode out there, but this will be out for the month of March, so we're keeping our promise. And uh, we will probably be doing some more podcasting uh, throughout uh, the next several months because, of course, we are all uh, quarantined and uh, sheltering in place in our various areas. So we are recording this remotely uh, and joining me this month uh, for a discussion is uh, Lois Weaver and Peggy Shaw, who together with Deb Margolin founded Split Britches in 1980. And uh, quickly, Lois Weaver is an artist, activist, and professor of contemporary performance at Queen Mary University of London. Lois is a 2014 Guggenheim Fellow and a, a Welcome Trust Engaging Science Fellow for 2016 to 2018. And Peggy Shaw is a performer, writer, producer, and teacher of writing and performance. She's a 2019 Guggenheim Fellow and a 2016 USA Artist Fellow and was the 2014 recipient of the Doris Duke Artist Award. So uh, Peggy and Lois, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you. It's nice to be here or there or together in any case. Yes, exactly. And uh, taking over uh, hosting duty for this particular episode is my good friend Amy Surratt, who is an associate producer here at La Mama. And uh, Amy, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Pierce. Uh, I am just really happy to be here with, especially with Lois and Peggy, who uh, in these troubled times, you're a reassuring presence. Uh, I'm a maker, writer, performer myself, and, and uh have worked at La Mama for the last six years, I suppose. And um, in that time, actually, I was just thinking about this earlier. I think we met in 2014, Lois and Peggy, at La Mama. And at that time, you were doing Desperate Archives and Rough. That's and that right. Was the same, that was the same year, actually, that Lois, you were the Guggenheim Fellow in 2014. Mm-hmm. And Peggy won the Doris Duke Award. So that was just a great split Bridges year. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of food that year. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a lot of fun that year. And a lot of work at La Mama. So yes, that's when we met. Yeah, it was a great time. And we've known each other since then. And it's really, really lovely to be able to talk to you today. How's it going? Ah. Well, it's kind of crazy over here. We're uh, in an old, in empty Victorian house uh, that someone gave to us so that we could shelter in place here in London. Because Peggy was here when all of this happened, and we were working on the new show, Last Gasp, uh, getting ready to bring it. Um, and so then suddenly we had to stay put, and uh, we didn't have a place to do that together. So someone very, very kindly uh, donated a house that they were getting ready to renovate, but they weren't going to be able to for a while because of the pandemic. And so we're, we're just in this amazingly beautiful empty house that's a little bit like a fairy tale but we're in the middle of a nightmare. So what are you going to do? Well, guys, a, a, a fairy tale house and not like a haunted Victorian. No, house. it's not haunted. <laughs> That's great. 
Um, yeah, last gasp. I really am, was looking forward to seeing that performance. And right now, of course, we're still hoping to bring that, we'll bring that back around in the future. No one knows, of course, what's going to happen with this thing at present, which is a little anxiety inducing. But um, are you still working? Are you still rehearsing and making while you're in residence, if you will? Well, we have every intention to be. I mean, we've set up a whole room that's our rehearsal room. And uh, we were in the middle of working with our choreographer, Morgan Thorson. She was over here and we were getting, really making great progress when all of this broke. And so I have to admit that it's taken about a week out of our rehearsal time just for us to get resettled into a new environment. I'm also teaching, so I've had to resettle into a remote teaching situation. So we've had to put the rehearsal on hold for a week, but we, we plan to start on Monday again. Well, we had to get beds, and we had to get a refrigerator, and we had to get uh, food and sheets and things like that. Have you, have you been out? Sort of. Not really. I, I don't think, I think we started certainly social distancing about three weeks ago, so where we only hung out with each other, and we hung out with the people we had been in close contact with, and, and with Morgan, and we just... We were very careful in our transport. And I think probably for the last two weeks, we've only gone out uh, again to a house that we had lived in prior to that. So there was already contact. So no, we haven't been out much. And um, people have been bringing us food. So that's, you know. It's nothing but for three weeks, I've been wearing gloves and a mask. I mean, we immediately, I think when you're queer, I think queers immediately know how to do emergencies because of all our life of emergencies. <laughs> And I think when anybody just said, you know, a virus that there's no vaccination for, we all started wearing gloves and masks over here. We also um, took it very seriously and didn't need any convincing that it wasn't happening. No, we didn't wait for anybody's government to tell us to stay home. We just decided to stay home. But I wanted to say, Peggy was talking about how we had to populate the house with things one of the most exciting things was when we were trying to figure out what are we going to have as furniture in this house, we remembered that we had a whole storage full of props and costumes and <laughs> uh, tables and chairs from the unexploded ordinances. So we've got rocking chairs. We've got I tables. I thought I recognized that red rocking chair behind you. That's right. So room, Right? It's a whole new situation room. It's a whole new situation is what it is. Um, Unexploded Ordinances was a show you did at La Mama, and then you took that to the Barbican as well, right? That's and that right. was the plan for Last Gasp, which I do want to still talk about, even though right now it's in a, a sort of holding period with what's going on with COVID-19. But can I just read the, the little for our listeners, the, the description that you have for Last Gasp, like for your marketing? It's two separate but in, interdependent solo performances woven together through the timeless bearing of Echo and Narcissus. Last Gasp looks for ways we might catch our breath in these times of great global uncertainty, considering our last acts, whether personal, political, or environmental. This sounds like the show for the times to me. Well, we were thinking maybe we shouldn't have called it Last Gasp. Because when, when we started it, we were thinking in terms of age and, and being older and what does it mean to come to the end of life or the end of your practice. But, and we were thinking about climate disaster and climate catastrophe it never occurred to us that at this point there would also be a pandemic that would literally being 
be affecting our ability to breathe. Well, it's your fault it's called last gasp. Because, uh, why my fault? Well, because I was going to call it lucky fucker. And <laughs> somehow you resisted the name lucky fucker. So Lois didn't like that name. So she changed it to the last gasp. And look, look what happens. Well, we can't even breathe anymore. Now we're going to die. Well, this I, is the end. I wasn't sure that, I don't, I'm not so sure that I didn't like the, the, the title. I just thought that it, the piece started to become more about, about me. Less about you and more. Less about me and more about you. <laughs> yes. yes, I wanted to be in this too, you know. Even though it's two separate solo pieces that we are weaving together, I was trying to find my own place in it. And Lucky Fucker was basically what I called you when you got the awards that you got that year that Amy mentioned. She said to me, oh, I got the Doris Duke Award. And I said, you lucky fucker. And then we took it from there. Of course, now we've made a whole new show and have you know, nowhere to do it. No, no. So, well, maybe we'll be doing getting it on some Zoom, of the show you know? right now. Yeah, we're getting the show. Pierce and I are <laughs> experiencing part of the show. We're the lucky fuckers. That's you are the lucky fuckers. So, you know what? Actually, Lois, you mentioned this. Can you, you've worked with each other on solos before, like Rough and What Tammy Needs to Know at all. There's many of them. How is this a different one since there are two? interwoven solo performances is it different or have you ever well the one thing that's different is that because of all these awards you're talking about we're able to pay people so we paid it lois wanted to dance and um so we paid a choreographer and we got a lot of residencies which is our new thing now which probably messed it all up by saying that we've decided to only do residencies and no more shows because we've done five residencies for this show and it's been really fun but we've never done that before we had so much time to make the show but we did it didn't we i mean we did have fun but we also made the show so i don't know it's all i think well one of the ways it's different i, I think is that even though it's it's a solo in the sense that we occupy very solo spaces we're on stage at the same time uh, and we are interdependent because we're on stage at the same time and we literally depend on each other in different ways that we've, we've uh, incorporated into the show. But the spaces that we uh, occupy on stage are very separate. And so we've made it together and we've used our usual uh, sort of methods of making it together. But with the- A lot of arguing. <laughs> yeah. But with the um, the sense that we could possibly extract these two pieces and they could be performed separately. So I think it's really the end thing that makes it two solo shows rather than the process that makes it a solo show. And I'm, uh, I'm vertical and Lois is horizontal, basically. We have, the only prop we have is a table, a magic table that opens up and all these things. And uh, that's Lois's table. And my, my, thing is the mic stand and the mic. So it's very interesting the combination of those two spaces remain that way through the whole show. I don't touch her table and she doesn't touch my mic. So there you go. And there's the element of the narrative anyway of echo and narcissus that is a part of that. Peggy, can you tell us the remind us the echo and narcissus mythos there? What is that? Story. Um, I have no idea except that <laughs> narcissus 
uh, killed himself by drowning in the water and his own reflection and echo um, was punished and not able to finish, not able to say complete sentences. And so everything, we reversed everything. So, however, I became echo and Lois became narcissist because Lois is feeding my lines through this, through my hearing, which is, as you see, very reliable. She's feeding me my lines because I can't memorize them. And so actually, I'm the echo. You can hear her voice during the show because she's sitting at a table doing it live. And I'm repeating them in my, in my microphone. So it's, it's a very loose version of echo and narcissus. But we used the myth for many um, images. It started out because one of Peggy's monologues, she's, she does a series of monologues throughout the piece, and one of them was Lucky Fucker. So that, that, we talked about that already. But then another monologue began to emerge, which was called The Trump in Me, where Peggy was exploring her own narcissism and the ways that she was starting to see her narcissism on display in the body of Donald Trump. And maybe even identifying in some ways with how she had, was similar. But anyway, so we started looking at narcissism. And then we started looking at this uh, idea of me giving her the lines. So we thought, oh, this echo and narcissus, this sort of, this, this person who, you know, is, is obsessed with their own image and obsessed and very self-obsessed and this other person who is a kind of first responder as it was, or as it is. So we just, we, I mean, we, you know, like with narratives, we never actually stick to a narrative. We're not actually telling the story of of the echo narcissus, but we're weaving that dynamic back and forth between us. And we're weaving the, the uh, current narrative on gender in and out of the show in a very funny way and um, a difficult way. And it's one of the layers of the show is gender, of course, and the difficult subject that it is and how touchy everything is these days with the call out culture and the, and the irony is gone, humor. Everyone's lost their sense of humor. They've lost their sense of irony. I was gonna ask about, because humor to me seems to be such a important part of your work. Like every Split Britches show, it's, there's a way in through the humor. And um, you know, how do you make a show about the end, the end of your process if this is, the last show, which we, we can come back to, or the end of the world in terms of global and political catastrophe, and find the funny. How are you finding? Well, funny it's very easy. You just Google. You just Google <laughs> the end of the. You just Google. How do you die on stage? And it gives you instructions. Don't die looking at the audience because then they'll see you breathing. Uh, make sure the director knows you're going to die. I mean, we just find humor in Google. I mean. The, as you do, you just Google, how do you die? How do you, how do you make a funny monologue at a time like this? And it tells you, it should be 10 minutes long and you have to make sure that it's, part of the audience is laughing. I mean, those kind of things. We just, we're just Googling all the information. You don't sort of go by these theories around clowning and around any kind of clowning. There's a lot of humor in status, the ways that status is played on stage. And uh, we, we sort of play lots of different 
uh, power statuses with each other. And we've always done that. I mean, we, you know, we rely on our own relationship, you know, the power dynamic. And that's when, when Peggy talked about sort of the, the gender, we, we're talking a little bit about gender and that's when we sort of bring echo narcissus into that conversation as well of like, uh, you know, what, what are these, what are these definitions that we either accept or reject or redefine? And we're, we're trying to be funny with it and also tell some fairly poignant stories around it at the same time. And we've always done that too. We've always tried to deal with really difficult or maybe even sad stories uh, with a bit of humor. We try not to be funny, but guess what? We're really funny. Maybe that's what I makes it so funny. You're not trying. You're just. I think it's the honesty, right? That makes it funny. You guys are always, to me and your work, pursuing a really honest response to a moment between the two of you or between you and the material, which is often both very personal and very political. And so, and then that with the layer of the relationship, because this is 40 years, right, of working together as as split bridges this is the anniversary year 40 40 well we also die i mean we die in the show because it's my last show i don't know about lois but i'm not doing any more shows of course i didn't realize that that would be true for everybody i thought it was just me but i didn't know the whole world was going to stop doing shows. peggy see when you say you're going to stop the whole thing shuts down that's right but, I don't, um, I don't, I don't agree with it. Can you be persuaded to keep making performances if I call you crying every so often? <laughs> Peggy, please perform, please. We need split bridges. We need you out there. No, I what you just said. She said that you can't stop. Basically, is what oh, she said. <laughs> but I am. You're not allowed to stop. But I am, and I won't see Pierce anymore because I, my relationship with Pierce is. Every night we do a show, I see him. And when we don't do a show, I don't see him. That's the way it goes. I was saying to uh, Amy before we, uh, yesterday, uh, that I was so bummed about uh, not being able to see your show or to work on it. And I was going to move around the schedule so I could house manage all of your shows because it's just so enjoyable, uh, you know, being around you. And it's like the easiest show of the year is to work on one of your shows as a house manager. Um, So I I am bummed. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's easy oh, well, for the that, audience too. Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. Well, mm. we want you there as well. So let's work that out. Let's put that in the contract. Yeah, I, I would love that. Yeah, I would love yeah, a little, you know, line on my La Mama contract. I must house manage all split britches performances. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a quick question. Um, you're talking about narcissism and, and, and I, I just would, if you can maybe expand on that a little bit. Um, and, and like in today's where, you know, I know, uh, Peggy was just talking about, you know, Trump as a sort of ultimate narcissist and stuff. But how do you think, like, right now, today's world, right? Like, we're saying the coronavirus sort of reality. How, you know, everyone, I think, is is feeling a little narcissistic at the moment. Or, you know, it, it, everyone's kind of, like, self-absorbed. I don't mean that necessarily in a, in a negative way. But I was just wondering if you if you could both kind of comment a little bit on that, you know are we, you know, because I, I guess it, it seems like it is impacting all of us in like a day-to-day level and maybe also how it impacts us like uh, in terms of our art as well. Well, I think more than, more than that, I think what's impacting us is the, is Facebook because 
last night, um, the good thing about Facebook is flash mobs and communication. The bad thing is the bad communication and the lies. So last night in the UK at eight o'clock, because so many people are sick in England right now, and the NHS is so stretched with people who are working without masks and without gloves and without all their necessary objects, that at eight o'clock last night, the whole country, all the way, all the way up to Scotland, at eight o'clock, everyone went outside their house and clapped for the NHS. And it was the most extraordinary sound. I mean, it almost felt like you could hear all the way to Scotland. Everybody was going, yeah, the whole street, everybody was out in front of the house. And it was the most uh, moving moment I've seen in a really long time. And it made me think that what I read on Facebook is not true, that they're making up everything. And that all that the, the, the amazing warmth of looking around and seeing all your neighbors out in front of their house clapping and yelling and thanking all the nurses and all the doctors and all the workers in the hospitals was such a beautiful thing and it had nothing to do with any asshole sorry that is telling us how to feel or how to be and telling us what happened that's what happened millions of people went out and were cheering everyone on in a really beautiful way so you know, you're not going to get that on, on Facebook. You get a little bit. A few, a few people wrote about it, but not many. I think what I'm seeing is um, it's, it's like this, this situation, which is something none of us have ever encountered in our lives. I mean, we don't even know what this is. You know, I mean, those of us, I mean, I'm 70. I didn't live through the war. I don't, and, I, and those of us who are in the United States never lived through that war, a war on our soil. Uh, since the Civil War, I guess. But um, what I'm seeing is uh, it's stripped something away and it's really revealed two things. It's revealed what Peggy's describing is this incredible sense of caring and organization around care. I mean, there, there's every ward in every borough in this city has its own mutual aid volunteer organization that's uh, going around delivering food to people who are isolated and quarantined. And that's just the tip of an iceberg of how people are responding in a collective way to such a collective disaster. And then there are those who, until the parks were just shut down yesterday, were still going out having their barbecues, you know, flaunting it, denying it, you know, partying in the face of it. I'm the individual. I can do what I want. There's, you know, you can't tell me what to do. And I just feel like this thing has stripped away any pretense. And we're seeing those both, both of those sides. I mean, and, and um, one is narcissism. The other one is altruism. And we're seeing an incredible rebirth of altruism, I think, here in response to this. You know, 550,000 people volunteered work with the NHS on this crisis. And I'm sure this is happening in the States too. It's just, this is what we're, we're seeing because we're right here. So, you know, yes, I think we are narcissistic because we are neoliberal because we have, you know, been inculcated in this cap global capitalism. Yes. And so we're thought to, we're made to think that way. And, but I think that's 
I think that's being torn apart, just like the virus tears things apart inside your body. It's tearing that apart. And I think we're going to have to rebuild everything. That's what I think. And the other thing is that as, as uh, alternate beings, as we all are, as other in this corporate world, as artists, we have had to make ourselves into a human being in a very powerful way to survive whatever it is we have to survive. And that has made us, uh, I think that's probably a lot of why there's so much conflict in, in our queer community at the moment, is that everyone feels like, who is the most important person? Somehow we've, we've had to make ourselves the most important person to survive and it's backfiring on us. I mean, I've already, uh, I had a fight today with somebody and uh, on stupid Facebook and I just, well, fuck you. I'm not, I don't wanna talk to you anymore. And I've never done that. And it's like, cause they were, they lost their irony. They were, I don't know. They were suddenly feeling sorry for Boris Johnson's girlfriend who's pregnant. Cause I was saying, good, die motherfucker. And she was saying, how can you say that? And I'm going like, oh my God. Well, this is the real interesting thing because what, what very much uh, impressed me or, or that's inspiring about the way that you both work and particularly you know, the amount of work you produce is the variety of form because you're not just doing performance, you're using performance to create these methodologies that employ a way to facilitate open exchange of ideas between people on critical questions in a time where communication is challenging and, and thorny and very, um, it's like a high pressure time to express anything between individuals and I think that Lois you've devised an, a number of ways to sort of navigate or mitigate mm -hmm. that through performance work right can you talk a little bit about that and well I mean that yeah that's sort of been my other obsession is how to use uh, basically domestic architectures in a public environment in order to engage people uh, more to to make public conversation more accessible to to encourage people to talk to each other I think b before I talk about what those are I think that what what we're missing and what we've lost is an ability to uh, to have any nuance you know in in, in in a conversation and so I think that part of what I've tried to do without realizing it is by working in these more familiar spaces like a porch where you sit on a porch and you wonder who's coming down the road or for the porch sitting or a supper table where you have a, a chance to linger over a subject without actually having to proclaim your particular expertise on that subject or, or the care cafe where you can sit and just feel yourself in an atmosphere of care. These are all very familiar spaces, but I think there are also spaces that allow for some kind of nuance and not knowing. I think we've been so, set up to have to know and to be the ones that know. And, and part of Last Gasp starts that way. You know, it starts with, you know, what if we didn't know? What if we didn't know how to answer that question? What if we didn't know what time the bus was coming or what the weather was going to be or what this, this virus is going to do us? How, you know, and... Um, but then what, I come what, in with... What it's, I it makes, know. 
<laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you come in with I know. But um, yeah, so it's a, I guess I've been, because I've created Long Table, I've created the porch sitting and the care cafe, the situation room. Um, these were places where you could sit in a, a safe space of not knowing and have these nuanced conversations with people. And that's what my hope is anyway. And then to boot, we have you, um, or Tammy, why not, as a, as a very caring moderator, typically, uh, which helps. I feel we don't really have that. We're not in the same room with one another having conversations as much anymore. So that's one of the distinctions, like Peggy was saying earlier. But also, Tammy is often a tool that you use, right? Has she been working lately on? She's been quiet recently because we're working on this other show. Um, she's, she's in my suitcase in my room and I, I'm thinking as a part of this quarantine, I might pull her out and get her to do a little online. I mean, one of the things that's happened, you, we, you mentioned this earlier, I think Pierce that, you know, we have these opportunities now cause we're kind of stuck and we have these opportunities to, to make things. And I, I've noticed that my friends and, and all of the artists and colleagues here, you know, are jumping, you know, up on these new uh, platforms and wanting to do all these new things and and yet at the same time I have these friends who are saying you know what just take a breath let's just take a breath for a minute and let's evaluate this let's see what it, this is going to be let's take stock let's take care of ourselves and I think I'm probably in that state but when I'm able to move out of that state Tammy's going to come out of the suitcase I have to and say have if you're suitcase. if you're listening to this and you haven't visited Tammy Why Not's YouTube channel. That's something you should definitely check out because um, I absolutely recommend that you look at Lois's performance of Tammy Why Not's My Pink Guitar, which is a country western uh, tune celebrating aging and sexual positivity and sexuality. And also, I just wanted to also plug Peggy's FAST service announcement uh, that she did, which was a part of um, Rough. It was kind of like a promotional thing for Ruff, which is uh, about how to recognize the signs that you're having a stroke and to act on that. So do you think we'll get a, a public service announcement from Split Bridges on protecting our elders in COVID-19 or a yeah, hand-washing song, maybe? Well, that's a really good idea, Amy. You've inspired me now. That's exactly, I mean, th we, we looked at these formats of public service announcements. Uh, as a way to do a creative take on something that would be useful to people. So I think we will. I think that's a great idea. I'm going to go work on that when we finish this. One thing I, I you were just part of. talking about there before, Lois, about um, making art, you know, um, in this time and, and how everyone is kind of, uh, you know, oh, we got to like take care of ourselves. And I think that's, that's super important. I found that for myself, um, and maybe you could both talk about that just in the reality that we're living in where we're all kind of like at home, you think like, Oh great. Like I'm finally, I can write, you know, the novel I've been dreaming of or work on this or that. And, uh, and I found that I actually like don't want to do any of those things. It's, it's super hard. You think you have all this time and you're going to work on the creative stuff that you, that, that sort of drives you when you are working. And it's, it's, it's almost like the opposite. I find it's like, no, I need to like, you know, have a beer and watch like kind of shitty TV on, on Netflix or, or whatever, you know, 
or or read books that like I'm interested in reading, but like or entertainment, you know. You know yes, just exactly. To, it's all about entertainment. Break. And I yeah. don't know, maybe if you could both kind of um, just touch on that, because I mean, obviously, this is going to end. We're not going to live like this for all eternity. Or I and and I mean, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I think that you know this this can't last beyond a few months, I don't think. But eventually we're going to have to get back. But how do you think art will be affected? I'm sure there's going to be a ton of people writing about social distancing and pandemics and, and whatnot. And, and you know, there'll, there'll be all sorts of they'll movies and stuff. Yeah, right. Maybe we'll all be, yeah, maybe. But how do, you, how do you think art will be affected by this? Well, I think you've asked me, to, you've asked two questions and I'd like to, to, to answer the first one. Um, you know, because I think, you know, I, I, oh, I so love the artist's drive and that part of me that wants to make something. Of course, I love that and honor that and do everything I can to instill that and protect that in others. So I love that. And I think that, yes, when we are given limitations, when we're given restrictions, when we're given these very extreme circumstances, one of our first instincts is to make. But on the other hand, I think this kind of making is just another kind of productivity that has been, you know, built into our fabric or along the lines of the, re the rest of the global capital. And, and so that I really believe that this is a time for us to stop and to take stock and to reflect and to think about really what's important. And no, don't stop making, but don't feel like, oh God, now I've got time, I've got to use this time, I've got to make something, I've got to make something of it, I've got to do... No, really try to just make a cake, make a cake, just breathe. I mean, I saw this woman because we're not going out, but there's a garden. We have a garden and I saw the garden next to me. There was this woman standing at the end of her garden, leaning against her, the, the fence and the cat was sitting on the fence and she was just staring into space and stroking her cat. And I thought, that's it. That is what we should be doing. We need to just be sitting with ourselves, sitting with this taking care of each other, taking care of ourselves and reflecting. These other things clearly don't matter. You know, they, they don't matter. Or if right they now. come, I think they should come out of the time or the, that's right, that's the inclination right. to respond to something internal or something not yeah. from a place of continuous production being yeah. the way that we are sort of indoctrinated to live and to be and that we're all expected to, to have yeah. that happen. You know, if, so if you at the same time, people are wanting to entertain people while they're home. Yeah, I mean, like you know, Miss Miss Justin Vivian Bond, who, who's entertaining people in her home upstate. You know, making up characters because you can't stop people from being artists. I mean, but to me, that's a nightmare to do something like that. I need to be more prepared, and I don't want to do things online. So I thought I would paint. I've painted several pets, people's pets. It makes them very happy to get paintings of their pets. People have helped us in this house, moving here and bringing all our stuff here. I mean, we have 11 rooms here, but no one, we're so used to sharing everything. We're the only ones who can be here. So bizarre. So we have this entire house in a backyard. And I'm butchering the garden. I don't know what I'm doing to the garden. I'm just cutting it. I'm just cutting it up because it's so much fun to go out and garden and not be worried about making a new show. 
Oh yeah, I, I don't know if you can see, but I my girlfriend cut my hair into a mullet just for fun. You know, we just we thought, why not? Because we're stuck inside, and, and you know, why not? Indeed, you know that that's been our creative uh, outlet. Well, I wondered what happened. I thought maybe you had sort of gotten you know run into a home appliance or something. No, just a, a just a bad mullet. That's all. Just a girlfriend with shears. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't get keep a mullet. I don't know. I'm kind of into it, to be honest. Pierce, you do exactly what you want to do. (laughs) You know what? And that's a Lois Weaver lesson there. It's about the desire, isn't it, Lois? Absolutely. I think that's that's like the, the what is the desire is at the core question of the split britches making. What do you think will happen to La Mama? How is that going to change their desire, this whole thing? Well, I mean, LaMama, we're, we're still doing uh, live streams on Fridays and we're still doing the podcast. And But I think it's just there's so many uh, unknowns, you know, it's like every um, I, I was even saying I was marking this. We were, we were in a, a meeting talking about our, our content and stuff. And, you know, inevitably, we're going to be talking about this, like this, this conversation that we're having right now about like, what the hell are we going to be well, doing? And I also want to say, too, like going back to our question about productivity and and like how some people are using this time to perform through live stream and that being like a a really amazing tool for connection for artists and and visibility and also bringing people together. Other people have different ways of, of expressing that need. And I think that just being, just doing this podcast interview has been really like wonderful for me. Anyhow, like this is my, I'm very happy that we did this. This has been like a, a, one of those sound baths that you have a queer sound bath experience <laughs> <laughs> with Lois and Peggy. It's just good to be talking to my elders in the practice and also seeing you and hearing what you have to say about all this. It's very grounding. I think, but it's also, you know, I mean, this is really cliche to say this, but um the con the contact i appreciate each time i have contact with someone now in a way that i didn't before if i have a phone call i'm doing a lot more phone calls um and doing a lot more zooms and a lot more skypes on whatsapp I'm just in contact with a lot more people and I'm a much more appreciative of it. And so I mean, I feel the same way. I feel really uh, nourished of having t- sat down and had this time with you this afternoon. And I think we should do it again in a week or two and see how we're all doing because this is going to change every, every day it changes. Last, you know, last night I had a zoom with 10 people in my family who had never been done anything like this before so the first half hour they were all talking over each other but then they slowly calmed down and started asking each person individual questions and i've never i mean i saw my nieces that i haven't seen in 12 years you know it's very interesting i'm writing letters on email fashion this whole thing that's happening i'm finding it very uh, really nice to take a walk and work in the garden and write to people or whatever it's a really nice break from all this. And I hope at the end of all this, all the 
computers will die instead of us. Well, don't say that. <laughs> I like <laughs> <laughs> Maybe our ways of listening. Can you hear us okay? It's slow. It's getting experimental. It's kind of slowing down. We're getting it, but it's it's coming and going. I think our ways of of listening and giving attention to one another are maybe going to change for the better through this. I hope. Maybe that's my desire. Well, I was gonna, yeah, I was going to take us back to that subject that you brought up of desire. Because you brought it up as um, as part of our work process, you know, we we always say, okay, what do we want to do? What what do we not and not what what, what do we want to say necessarily? It's usually what do we want to do on stage? And I think that's something for us to try to remember, you know, in these little solitary places. Okay, what do we what do we want this day to be? What do we want to do? What you know. What do we want to do with the world once we get on the other side of this? Anyway, so yeah, I think desire is one of the things that'll, it's one of our survival tactics and it's one of our creative methodologies. I think a lot of people are dealing with the, uh, the big questions in life right now. You know, the big ones, like what does it mean to die? And what does it mean when you, your friends die? I mean, we've already gone, through, it was a different kind of, uh, because it was so riddled with homophobia and, and hatred, it was a very difficult one is coming up with a virus with an um, antidote because everyone wants you to die. You know, I don't know what's happening now with this, you know, antidote to this virus, but I don't feel the same hatred that I did during the uh, AIDS crisis, of course, or, or still, I mean, it's still a crisis, but it's, uh, it's so based in homophobia. And this, Trump tried to make this uh, racial by blaming China. You know, he tries to make everything a, a racial battle. And it also is a, a class battle, you know. There's a real class issue going on. Who's able to survive without working on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, that's... Oh, that's... Well, I think this this might be a a good place to uh, to end this conversation here today, only because the yeah. the limitations of uh, our internet access is not great. But it, it's been such a pleasure having both Lois Weaver and Peggy Shaw joining us on the podcast. I know me personally, this has been this has sort of put a smile on my face. And to what you were saying before, um, you know how, how beneficial this all is. I think this is. Uh, this is great. Just even though like we're, we're able to see one another. And I, I do hope that uh, when this is all said and done, uh, people will kind of put their phones away in their computers and actually remember uh, how wonderful it is to, uh, you know, to be in contact with humanity and, and to uh, just sort of enjoy life and, and what we have around us. So I want to once again, thank both Lois Weaver and Peggy Shaw for joining us on the podcast. I am very excited about Last Gasp, and uh, you know I think all the listeners will be excited as well. And we'll, uh, whenever we we have more information on that, we will uh, uh, certainly let the listeners know. And um, Amy, do you have any uh, final thoughts or, or anything you want to add? Yeah, I want to I want to plug Split Britches's it Split Britches's. That's a mouthful. Your website, which I think should be required reading for anybody interested in queer performance or queer history 
or art and activism because you really put a lot of content on there that's really amazing. And there's two things that I want to mention in specific. One is you have a, a series of directives for making work. So if you are one of those people who's stuck inside for COVID-19 and you're looking for a way into your practice, check out Lois and Peggy's Make Something, a manifesto for making performance about making change. That's ACES, and it will give you like really clear directives, non-pretentious, gets right to the heart of the work, is intelligent and, and witty, and all things Lois and Peggy together. So that's a must check out. And also, lucky you, you lucky fuckers, because the Split Bridges Performance Archive has also, through the Hemispheric Institute, a lot of uh, works from the past 40 years actually archived online that's linked directly on their website. So you can see, I, I'm not sure what full performances are on there, but full performances certainly from the Split Bridges archive available to watch. And now's the time to do your homework, little queer babies. Go learn from the masters, Lois and Peggy. Uh -huh. Yay. Love you much. Thank you both. You. Thank you. That was Thanks wonderful. Thanks, you guys. That was great. Thanks for spending the afternoon with us. Thank you for listening to the La Mama podcast. If you enjoyed this and you would like to support us, please subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. To learn more about La Mama, you can visit lamama.org.